Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. My guest today is a longtime friend and fellow licensed mental health counselor, Anne-Marie Conlin. Anne-Marie is the director of the Bereavement Center of Westchester here in Westchester County, New York. Anne-Marie is a specialist in bereavement support, and I'm so excited to have Anne-Marie on the podcast today. Anne-Marie and I met years ago, probably around 2012, when we worked together at New York Presbyterian Hospital in their inpatient psychiatric facility in White Plains. We were both on the children's inpatient psychiatric unit, which, let us tell you, was really tough work. It was also very rewarding, though, and... I'll never forget wrapping gifts for the children at Christmas time so they could still experience a delivery from Santa during the holidays while they were hospitalized. And Anne-Marie and I saw a lot of trauma with these children, and it was nice to be able to show up for them every day and try and bring some positivity into their lives while they were there with us. So without further ado, I'm going to let Anne-Marie introduce herself to you. So, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for your time today. Hi, Justine. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your career? Absolutely. So, um, let's see. Before I worked at Nichols Cottage with you at uh, New York Presbyterian White Plains, um, I was a guidance counselor and a career counselor. And so I've always been in the, in the field of, of counseling, um, just with different, different, um, populations. Um, so at New York Presbyterian, I, I worked, you know, all on the children's unit as well as the adolescents and different adult units. Um, and while I was there, I was getting my, um, my clinical license from an LMHC. And then after that, I moved on to be the assistant director and then became the director at the Bereavement Center of Westchester, where I am now. That's awesome. So you've been in the counseling field for some time now, and grief work has come um, about seven years ago, right? You started grief work about seven years ago as a profession? Yes, yeah, so I joined, yep, I think it was actually April 2014. Um is when I started at the Bereavement Center. Um, yes, yeah, so it was actually just six years. It was six years in this past April. So I had been a volunteer with the Bereavement Center uh, in, in my 20s, um, working at the Treehouse Program, which is our program for, um, for children who have had either a parent or sibling die. Yes, and Treehouse, you know, I'm familiar with it. I think it's an amazing program. Do you want to take a minute to talk about that program a little bit? Absolutely. So the TRIAS program is our, is really our cornerstone program. Um, we have many different um, programs, but the, the Treehouse is, is our largest program and it serves families all over Westchester County um, and, and the Bronx. And uh, what it is, is it's for 
families who've either had a parent or a sibling die. <clears throat> the children are between ages 4 to 18, and they come with either um, a parent or, or, you know, the surviving parent or a guardian. And the, the parents um, and caregivers get support as well at the same time as the children are. The children go to their age-designated groups where they're facilitated by trained volunteers um, and supervised by us. And they do different grief activities, and they're with their peers. And um, the power of that is that when you're with, you know, when children feel very alone when they're grieving. So when they hear another kid say, you know, my mommy or daddy died, um, it's very normalizing and validating for them. Um, and at the same time that they're in their group, the parent, whether it was a child um, loss or a, you know, a spouse or partner loss, they get to go and, you know, have their own time to grieve um, with their peers, um, you know, and that's run by um by licensed professionals. That's amazing. And not everyone is cut out to do this type of work. I mean, it's heartbreaking to to watch families go through this, but Treehouse is such a safe space for these kids. It's an amazing program. It really is. It is. You know, we always say it's it's a club that you don't want to belong to, but you're glad it's there. To feel not alone and to just have that safe space is really, really um, crucial when you're, when you're, you know, a young family grieving. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I was actually introduced to doing grief work by you. Um, you know, I'll tell our listeners, you, you brought me on at the bereavement center a few summers ago to see some of the children's and teens who have lost a parent or a loved one. And I really fell in love with the work right away. And I decided to get some further training in this area um, start seeing clients in this area and start making it like a subspecialty of mine. So this past January and February of 2020, I completed training at the Center for Complicated Grief at Columbia University. And we could talk a little bit about complicated grief later, but it's very rewarding. And now I focus on working with teens and young adults who have specifically lost a parent and it's, it's a different type of work than my usual work. I have to say there's a different feeling to it. Um, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. How does grief work and grief support differ from other work you've done as a counselor in the past? Well, first I want to say, I'm, you know, I'm so, I mean, proud of you, but also so happy that you, you took that extra step to get that training because, you know, I know from, you know, our you know, mental health programs and, you know, even in social work programs, um, I don't really think that, that the grief and loss is, is really, um, focused on enough, um, really, or, or at all in a lot of programs. Um, and we get so many calls from clients saying that, you know, my therapist said I should go to see, you know, see a grief, um, counselor. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of therapists kind of see it as a separate thing that they're, you know, not equipped to do. So anyway, I just want to say, it's just yeah. so wonderful that you went and got the training and that you can be, you know, you can, um, you know, when someone comes to you with that, that you, you, you have the background to, to understand it and work with them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah but, you know, cause grief work, you know, back to your question, grief work is, it is a little different. It's not, you know, what I always tell clients when they call, um, cause sometimes, you know, sometimes um, because grief is such a natural and normal reaction to someone dying, you know, mm -hmm. if someone tells you, you know, you, you need to go see someone that can be kind of, um, some people are put off by that, you know, right. maybe something's wrong with them. And why do I need to see a therapist? You know, this is normal that I'm sad or I'm angry. And yes, it's all true. Um, but grief, 
you know, grief support is, is exactly that. It's providing a safe spot, you know, place for you to explore your grief with no, um, you know, you know, it's, it's one thing to have, you know, family and friends who are supportive, but it's very different to have someone so outside of that to just, you know, walk beside you, as we say, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's also different from other therapy because it's not like psychotherapy. We're not getting into your childhood and, um, and it's really just walking beside you to get you to a place of healing so that you can, you know, move forward in some way. Yeah. I love that explanation. I, I really do. And I think you're right. Grief is a normal part of everybody's lives. Everyone can relate to it and will experience it at some point. Um, so we want to normalize the process. And sometimes when people are told to go to therapy for it, they might feel like there's something wrong with them or they're grieving in the wrong way. And that's not the message we want them to take. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Anne-Marie's here with us today to talk about grief, obviously. And how childhood loss shows up in our adulthood. And we really can't ignore the fact that we're in a pandemic right now. Hundreds of thousands of people have died from the coronavirus. So coping with loss is a pretty relevant topic right now. So I think it might be helpful first for us to define what grief is. So Anne-Marie, how would you describe it to people? What is grief? Well, kind of like what I, I, you know, started to say before is that it's the most normal reaction you can have to someone dying. Um, there are varying degrees of it. It looks and feels different to everyone, but it's really the most simplistic and organic process a human being can experience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and I'm sure many people have heard, you know, grief is unique. Um, you know, of course, there are common symptoms, you know, that we, you know, feelings and behaviors that, that, um, you know, that, that we all feel, um, but it's really different for everyone. And uh, we often say that you grieve in character. So meaning that who you are is how you'll grieve. If your kind of go-to emotion is anxiety or um, depression, um, you know, and that was, bef you know, the, there before the loss, you know, that's only going to be exacerbated. Um, right. And, you know, there's no timetable. It's not linear. Um, and it really is, it really is a process. Definitely. I think that's a wonderful explanation. And I've come across a few different um, levels or definitions for grief. So like one would be acute grief, which is that early period after a loss. And it, it's typical to dominate the life of the bereaved person. Um, and someone might experience these really strong feelings of yearning and longing and sorrow Um insistent thoughts and memories of the person who passed any other painful emotion might come up anger remorse shame and a lot of their activities are focused on either doing or not doing things to try and deal with that loss um do you think that acute grief has a timeline for people no i mean i i think that it's you know some people will feel the acute grief you know immediately Mm -hmm. Um, for some, you know, especially children and, and adolescents, I'll often have parents call and say, you know, they're totally, they seem totally fine and they're almost alarmed by it, um, mm -hmm. which is why they're calling, you know, you know, my kid went back to school right away. They're playing soccer again. They're doing their homework. Um, and you know, sometimes we say, well, and, and that's, and that's wonderful. Um, cause children need structure and, um, 
you know, and sometimes people can dive right back into, you know, things that make them feel good. Um, but oftentimes children will also kind of wait until the, the parent is on better footing and better grounding to kind of um, break down a little bit, if that makes sense. It's, it's kind yeah. of like they know that they can only throw so much at you. Um, and so we oftentimes do see that, uh, you know, that acute stage will actually kind of be delayed for, for the kids. That makes so much sense. And I've had a lot of teenagers tell me like, I have to be the strong one for my parent because of the loss of my other parent and or my parent can't handle this right now. Or they'll really like suppress and push their own feelings aside to give their parent that space to grieve. And then we don't see them come out with their own feelings until like you said, that parent seems a little bit more stable or navigating their grief and then the right. child feels more comfortable with it and kids um they can't sit with sadness like we can mm-hmm. um and such intense feelings so you know you know it's 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 much more common for a child to return to you know have a funeral on friday of their mother and go back to school on monday whereas adults you know maybe take a whole you know month or a few months off from work um, right. just, you know, kids really grieve and, and we call them grief bursts. So mm. it's just, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a different process of that acute, acute grief. Yeah, that's a great point. So I've also heard that there's integrated grief, which is the lasting form of grief in which the, you know, the thoughts related to loss, the feelings, behaviors, they're just now integrated into the bereaved person's ongoing life, ongoing world and functioning. So grief has a place in the person's life without completely dominating it. Um, And I want to say, like, this looks like steps. Like, first there's acute grief, and then there's integrated grief, and then there's this, that, and the other, where I'm wondering if someone can kind of fluctuate between integrating grief in part of their life and then feeling symptoms of acute grief later or vice versa. Well, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, they're definitely – you know, as a child, you know, kind of back to the main topic of, you know, a child who loses a significant person early on, um, you know, as they grow, as their brain develops, they understand the loss in, in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. so a seven-year-old whose mother dies is going to now experience that in a different way at 12 and then at 18 and 25, right? So, um, you know, and and it also depends on... Um, you know, the, if the, well, what I like about the integrated grief is because one of our goals in the treehouse program is to integrate the person into your life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that they're, you, you continue to honor them and they become a part of, you know, of you, um, you know, which is why we never say, you know, you, you move on or there's any closure. Um, it's right. how do you integrate them into your life? Um, sorry, I feel like I am backtracking your question. Um, no, no, I, I think that makes complete sense. Yeah. And now there's more talk about complicated grief and bringing that into the DSM. Um, and it's described as a persistent form of intense grief. And but there's these maladaptive thoughts or dysfunctional behaviors that are now present uh, with like the continued yearning, longing and sadness or preoccupation with thoughts and memories of the person who passed. 
and the grief continue to dominate the person's life. And that person feels so depressed and the future seems really empty. And they might even experience irrational thoughts that they could do something to change reality and can never really move through their feelings. What are your thoughts on complicated grief? Well, complicated grief, um, I, I think at times it's the, the phrase is overused and kind of thrown around a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and as you went through the training and Annette and I've done some training in it, um, it really is a certain, certain, um, you know, um, type of grief that really isn't, um, you know, like a large population, large, you know, so very specific, right. It's very specific. Um, I mean, cause some, some will say that all, isn't all grief complicated, right. right? Um, relationships are complicated. Um, life is complicated. Circumstances are complicated. Um, so what is the actual, you know, so I, I believe when, when someone's labeled a complicated grief, sometimes the message could be, you know, because you're not moving on as fast as society wants you to move on. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's why I, I, I'm hesitant to just throw that around because I, you know, I, I do know that there are like specific markers that, you know, um, that have been set to be termed as deemed as complicated grief. Um, because I, we just get a lot of calls saying, you know, you know, I, I definitely have complicated grief, you know, maybe it's, you know, six months since her son died and, you know, they don't want to go to work. Well, that's pretty normal. Right. I, that's not complicated. That's normal grief. Right. So um, I think it's just hard to put parameters on, on when, um, when someone should be doing certain, you know, things according to society. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. But with that being said, if you, you know, if, if as a, as a person who's, who's grieving and you, you know, you aren't functioning, um, you know, cause there are, you know, grief is, you know, once it does get past that acute stage and it's normal to have that experience at acute stage, but it's also normal to move past that. Right. And still be grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it's important to, to look for support if you feel like you need that help of, you know, getting, you know, maybe, going back to work or doing, you know, certain life um, functions that, that are normal for us to, to do because you can be a griever and be living at the same time. So I think Good that's point. what's complicated is when you're those two, um, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to grieve and live. That's a great way to um, paint that picture in you, you've really considered the functioning level. Like, can you live and grieve at the same time or is your functioning completely stalled because of this which right. in the beginning um might be completely stalled if you've just lost somebody you know that could be normal at some points and then start to be maladaptive at other points absolutely um you know and kind of like you said before and then sometimes you know because it's not linear it's very fluid you could be moving forward and then something else happens and you you have a setback and you know that was very common throughout this pandemic. Um, people who had recent losses before the pandemic that were totally set apart from COVID, um, you know, that they kind of had this delayed grief reaction or prolonged grief because of, you know, being, you know, grieving within the pandemic. Right. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. So I'm, I want you, Anne-Marie, to share a little bit about your own personal experiences with grief. 
So, you know, we all have a grief history or we like to call it a grief blueprint. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, my parents both had long illnesses that somewhat overlapped each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are determinants that affect how a person grieves. So, you know, like the age of the griever, the relationship they have with the person who died, the type of loss, um, and this all impacts the grieving process. Um, and how the person grieves. And so for me, my, my mother died from a very long, like over, over decade battle with cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, she was diagnosed when I was in high school and then went into remission and then, um, you know, it was very like debilitating too. So she was handicapped. And, um, so she died when I was 27 and then my father died five years later from COPD complications. So I was 32. Wow. And five years isn't a long time at all between those losses. It's not, you know, and it's, it's interesting kind of, you know, back to what I was saying about um, the determinants that affect how a person grieves, you know, 27 to 32 doesn't seem like a big difference, but where I was in my life was very different. Right. Um, So at 27, I almost felt it was a very different experience than it. I almost felt like I was still not quite an adult yet. Um, and then at 32, um, you know, and at 27, my mom died four months before I got married. So that was oh another God. loss. Um, wow. Next, you know, kind of loss of an expectation of her being there. Yeah. And then when my dad died, I had two little kids and it's almost difficult to just sit there and grieve. So they're a very different grieving experience. Yeah, you're right. And 27 to 32, we think five years is a long time. Um, And the stages of life that you're in can happen pretty quickly between your 20s and 30s. So the timing of both losses um, had their own set of circumstances and reactions because of it. But that that's really, really difficult to go through for sure. For sure. So thank you for sharing that. Let's um, talk a little bit about our topic, how loss during childhood can show up in our adult life. So what have you observed about this topic? So, you know, when a, when a child experiences a significant loss, such as a parent or sibling or caregiver, um, you know, they, they experience it wherever they are developmentally, you know, at that age. Um, mm. You know, so it's, re- and it's, it's not one event, you know, when a child loses someone, you know, like a mother or a father, or a sister or brother, um, it's an ongoing occurrence throughout their development. Right. Um, you know, and for, you know, for, for children, and if you're a parent, um, you try to make the world safe for them, for the child, your child, right? And you want them to think the world is safe. And so when someone dies, the reality is their world's not safe anymore. Right. And knowing that so early on in life can change the way you experience life. Mm. Um, totally, totally. So, and I've seen with a lot of my clients, you know, they'll say they're processing the loss of their mom or their dad, but now they have this anxiety about, wow, horrible things can happen at any time. That safety factor kind of goes out the window and they start experiencing anxiety about other things um, going wrong. And I I love that you're bringing that up because I I just listened to a webinar the other day about um, almost anxiety is this 
stage that we don't recognize, uh, you know, um, that, you know, because for children that it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's lost. It's a loss of safety. Um, you know, and, and also, you know, as, you know, a seven-year-old who experiences a death of a parent is going to feel it much or process it much differently than their, you know, 13-year-old sibling. So even within a family, the age is so important, um, the differences. Right. Um, That's a good point. And then, you know, we often say that children grieve for life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this doesn't mean that, like, the intensity of the feelings will remain. So, you know, a parent shouldn't be nervous that, you know, their kid's going to just be anxious forever. Um, but they'll re-experience the loss throughout life at various stages and, and, you know, different triggering events. You know, for example, we had a child in our program, the Treehouse program, um, whose brother had died when he was 10. And when he was about to leave for college, his mother, you know, this is very common that um, a child will go through a program at a, at a young age and then we'll get a call from them, you know, five, seven years later, um, you know, for you know different issues that are coming up as because now they're at, you know, teens are closer to thinking how adults think. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was about to leave for college and um, he was having a difficult time. And after speaking with him, we uncovered that he was having a fear of starting a new school and meeting new people because he was, he was really scared of having the normal question of, do you have siblings? Like, how am I going to answer that? Right. Right. Um, He, he lived in a small town. Everyone knew his story. You know, he's knew all these kids since he was 10. Um, And, you know, now he was fearful of like, you know, how do you react now? Yeah. How do I explain this to people that don't already know? Like that's a different part of his narrative than he's had to deal with before. And such a normal question, you know, you could be out at a a party and someone says, you know, how many siblings, you know, do you have any siblings? And it's like the music stops, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So anxiety about how to answer that question. And so, yeah, I was just going to comment our life cycle stages and it can really trigger feelings of grief all over again. And like you said, going like graduating high school or college or getting married and not having that person there at these big milestones. Or even um, I found when people themselves start to transition into parenthood, you know, when they become parents and they've lost a parent at some point, um, it comes back and it needs to be reprocessed and talked about at that time. Do you ever find that as being a triggering time for people? Absolutely. Um, you know, another thing we often see is, um, you know, if say, you know, 12 year old girl's mother dies when, you know, the mother's 40 and now as an adult, when she's approaching that age, um, mm. you know, they're, all these kind of feelings can, can reemerge. Um, and, and, you know, the self-awareness is hard to have at that time of, cause you don't, you're not really, it's not as normal to make the rea- the um, connection. Right. You know? So you might think what's going on with me and then you uncover, you know, Oh wow. That's, that's why I'm feeling that way. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think what you're saying, Anne-Marie is when you lose a parent in childhood or a grandparent or a sibling or someone close to you, You have your own set of processing at that time as a child, but it never truly goes away and it will show up at different life stages, life cycles, events, 
and may need to continually be reprocessed and talked about throughout your lifespan. Right. It's also very common for people to create a pattern of uh, what if thinking or mm. only thinking. Mm. Um, you know, it's very easy to create an alternate world that would exist if your person didn't die. Right. right. So, you know, if my mom didn't die when I was seven, I wouldn't have started drinking as a teen or I would have done better in school. Um, you know, and we don't know and we never will know, but it's very common to fall into that pattern of, of thinking. What a good point. And that I think deserves some attention for someone to talk about and like what's unhelpful about holding on to that kind of belief, right? Because there's a lot of unhelpful reactions to believing that to be true. And people might hold on to that and need to look at it from a different perspective in order to progress or heal themselves or move in a different direction. Right. And, um, you know, and that's why getting support, you know, what we do know about, you know, children who, um, who have experienced a loss is, um, you know, how their, their parent or their caregiver handles the loss and grieves, um, as well as, you know, the support they receive, um, you know, the, you know, learning about coping skills and the vocabulary and really just kind of building like an emotional awareness to navigate these feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you think loss can affect like a middle schooler versus um, a high schooler? Is there a difference you think? Um, well, you know, I think a lot of it depends on, on the, the actual child. Yeah. Um, but in high school, you know, you're going through, you know, different experiences than, than, you know, the middle school. Um, I would say that, you know, and I'm sure you, you can, um, agree with this, that a, a session with, uh, high school student is different than a session with a middle school student if how they process the information, how they're able to verbalize their feelings yeah. and their thoughts, um, you know, is more on a line to, to adults. Even a ninth grader versus a 12th grader is a completely different level. Right. And the way they think about the world around them, you know, um, kids are, are narcissistic by nature. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's very, I mean, extremely common for you a kid to learn that their parent died and like the next moment they want to go like play with Legos or something because that's their world or who's going to pick me up from soccer um you know because they're thinking about that but teens are more thinking about um they can think outside of that and think more of the future and what what's going to happen I see yeah that's a good distinction for us to understand for sure yeah so do you use any like specific models or theories when working with someone that has experienced loss in their lives? Um, you know, we really look at grief as like a very natural human feeling and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the pain you endure when you're grieving is real and it's natural and normal. Um, so at BCW, we we don't look at grief through a clinical lens, but more like through a human lens. Um, We like to say we walk beside a person as they grieve. Um, But there are certain theories that help us understand our grieving clients and put things into context, Um, like Warden's, you know, tasks of grieving, Mm. um, you know, accepting reality of loss and, um, you know, um, adjusting to the environment and, 
Um, so yeah, there are different, um, you know, of course the background of having the theories is always helpful, but we really, we really do walk beside the person and meet them where they are. And I know I'm bringing this specific um, model up because I feel like it's the most popular that people would know, which is the five stages of grief. Do you have any specific takes on how that can be helpful or unhelpful for people? Yeah. So it's so funny. I remember learning about um, Dr. Kluver Ross, like in high school. Um, but since then there's been so much research and while she was, you know, incredible, incredible and contributed so much to the study of grief and dying, um, her work was really misinterpreted. Um, because the stages that she wrote were really meant for like the dying person and not for the, the griever. Um, and so they're also not meant to be like in stages, like, okay, now you're finished with this stage and you're on to the next one. Um, while grieving people do experience some, you know, some of those same feelings, denial and acceptance and anger, um, it's not, they're not in stages and they're not, um, you know, meant to, meant to be kind of like linear like that. Yes. Yes. And sometimes people think it's supposed to be like, you hit the first stage, you hit the second, you hit the third in order, but there's no order to them. They're just pieces of the puzzle that people experience may experience at different times. Right. And so many, you know, and, you know, kind of some of the theories I've talked about, you know, the determinant factors that you know, impact how someone grieves, like those are, you know, um, you know, like I said, like the support system, um, the age of the person, you know, surviving the relationship, how the person died, all those things can affect, you know, the feelings that you have during grief. Yeah, definitely. Now, David Kessler, he has written about a sixth stage of grief called finding meaning. Right. Um, what do you think of that? Do you think it's a useful stage for people to incorporate after loss? I just, I know that the, you know, it's, it's, it's like, where do you go on, you know, where do you move from when the acceptance, right? And whatever acceptance looks like to you, however you accepted the loss, um, where do you move from there? So, you know, finding meaning, whether it's finding meaning or purpose for your own life again. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your life is going to, you know, especially if it was a very significant loss, your life will never look the same as it, as it was. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't be joyful and, 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 you know, filled with love and joy and, and wonderful, you know, and, and have meaning and purpose. Um, you know, I think as human beings, we're always striving for some purpose. So to kind of live in this world where after a loss that you don't have that anymore, um, was is obviously very challenging. Um, so I think, you know, and, but how do you do that while integrating that person and continuing to honor them? Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's one of the things we focus on, you know, at grief, you know, through grief counseling and through our programs. Yeah. And, you know, when I was reading about this and learning about this, um, I thought to myself, okay, I can picture an adult, finding meaning from loss eventually, right? And getting to that point where they can. And then I thought like, can a teenager really do that? Or could a kid do that? Or like, is there an age for that? And then I saw my own um, teenage clients doing that without me even bringing it up and coming into session and being like, this is what I've taken from this loss. And 
this is how I'm going to live my life going forward because of this loss. So really making their own meaning from it. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Like it can happen probably at any age to make certain meaning of this loss. That's, yeah, I mean, and, and, and there's no, again, like with, with all grief, there's no timeline for that either. Right. You know, whether they, and you know, and I, and I, I always cringe at the, um, you know, we, there's in our society, we have so many different cliche things that we say when someone dies, you know, that mm-hmm. one of the most famous ones is everything happens for a reason. Um, right. you know, and that's a very difficult thing for, you know, someone who's experienced a significant loss to hear. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, so that, that's not how I take the finding meaning again, you know, finding meaning in the loss. Um, right. it's just kind of finding your own, a new path. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that. And to go back to the idea of childhood loss showing up in adulthood, I might imagine that if you've lost a parent during childhood, you may not have the same meaning of it as when you are now an adult um, experiencing life through an adult lens, then you might make a certain meaning of that loss. And I'm at, you know, I've heard a lot of people say like, I was so angry during childhood and through my high school years and young adult years because of not having that parent. But now in my thirties or forties, like I've come to understand it in a different way and it's helped my life in this way, or I've learned something from it that way and really making a meaning out of it as an adult. Right. Or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a different parent because of it. Right. Um, Right. You know, how I, how I parent is, you know, is different because I had this loss. Um, Right. Yeah. Good point. So do you think someone could ever truly recover from a loss or have quote unquote closure from a loss? I know we touched on that a little bit before. I know. Mommy, I really, (laughs) we, it's, it's really like, we cringe when we hear that I, I need to move, you know, when someone calls us and they say, you know, I'm calling because, you know, my friend or, you know, my family member says I need to move on. Um, and you can hear the the pain in their voice from that because it's such a rejection of how they're handling things, um, how they're managing, you know, um, and it's, you know, I, I think sometimes people take it as, you know, it, that person shouldn't be control, you know, that law shouldn't be controlling who you are anymore and defining you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always say, how do you move forward? So I don't really mm-hmm. think there's closure and you can't really move on from, um, you know, I, I think of moving on as you can, I think you can move on from breaking up with someone. Right. Hmm. Um, yeah. but a loss, you know, losing a parent, a sibling, a child, um, I think you can move forward. Well, I know you can move forward toward healing and reach a place where you can find joy again. Um, and that person will always be a part of you. And, right. And, and you feel, you know, you, and you learn to honor them. Right. I love the way you say move forward. And I think it is an unrealistic expectation for people to move on, find closure, to recover in a way that is almost like, okay, you've reached the end, you get a prize, you'll feel right. so much better now. Um, Cause that's not reality. And sometimes society holds people to that. And the things we say to people that are grieving could be really unhelpful. And those are one of the unhelpful things to say, 
you know, find closure. No, you can't really ever find closure with something horrible that's happened. Yeah. And people are very quick to judge how someone's grieving. Um, you know, and I think one of the reasons is because seeing, you know, it's, it's almost from a, a, a kind, a kindness in a way, because we don't like to see people in pain, especially people that we love and care about. Right. Um, you know, and for different reasons, because we care and love them. And so we don't want them to be in pain anymore. Sometimes it reminds us of our own mortality. And um, so we want them to be, you know, we want them to be who they were. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of pressure when you're, when you're grieving. So it's, you know, that's one of the reasons why support groups are, are great because you, you don't have to have that pressure and you can just be, you know, be where you are. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So do you, Anne-Marie, have any advice or words of wisdom for someone that has lost a loved one recently? Well, yeah, I mean, re- recently is, is definitely has brought up a whole new um, sort of challenges with, mm-hmm. you know, just because of, you know, what we always say is find people who make you feel safe, supported and loved, um, you know, return to some familiar structure with flexibility, be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself, mm-hmm. know, when, know when to reach out for help. Um, yeah. and also have, you know, recognize that people have limitations, you know, oftentimes people are disappointed, you know, how maybe people have, you know, been there for them, you know? Um, and I, I think it's, it's hard to, you know, keep showing up for someone, um, and certain people can do it and, you know, and so, you know, if you have a few friends or a few people who, who will continue to show up for you, um, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And and if you don't, there's always more support. Um, and that's where, you know, where, where we can come in. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So what types of services, um, is the bereavement center Westchester offering right now and how can people reach out and find you? So we have, you know, I know I've talked about the treehouse program, um, which is for children ages four to 18 who've had a parent or sibling die, Um, and then we also have loss specific groups, um, you know, whether it was a loss of suicide, perinatal loss, um, you know, an older child dying that doesn't fit into the, you know, the treehouse model. Um, you know, that's our, our ongoing child loss group, um, spouse partner loss group, again, separate from the treehouse. We also offer individual counseling as well as, um, our school outreach program. Great, great. And how can people get connected? So we are in Scarsdale. It's the Bereavement um, Center of Westchester. And you can call 914-787-6158. Awesome. And And uh, I'll make sure I link the website to my episode show notes for people that are interested. And are you guys on Instagram? We are um, BCW Treehouse. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Anne-Marie, I can't thank you enough. I think you are filled with such good information. Um, and I think you've even debunked some myths about grief that people have held on to. Um, and I think this conversation will really help some people find um, a way to move through their pain and know that 
they're not the only ones going through loss. It's people everywhere are grieving. And the best way to handle it is to find your support system. Absolutely. And, um, and you know what I always say to parents also, it's, it's never too late to find the support. Um, and, you know, we can never push someone to it either. So yes. When it's time, it's, it's, it will be time when you're ready. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Justine. It was great to talk to you and about um, this, the topic of grief. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.